This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we are going to take a little look at YouTuber Michael Downey. He's traveling across Canada on a train. It's a 10-episode feature he's put on YouTube. It's unbelievable. It's amazing, in fact, of what he's done. And not only all of that, but he gives a tour, and he's with his dad, and he tells us the best places that he's been to. It's a fantastic conversation you're going to love. Also, a look inside Ukraine. Former judge and lawmaker Mikhail Zernikov joins the Shift with another update from inside Ukraine. Perspective from Ukrainians looking at what's happening and what do Scandinavian countries joining NATO mean for Ukraine as well? Plus, what do you think is the most beautiful place in Canada? Your calls and texts as you share them with us here on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. What is the best place in Canada? We're sort of tiptoeing towards that travel season thing and I guess with the price of gas the way it is, most people are not going to be able to afford to go to a lot of places. So what's the best place? 877-399-9898. Here in Canada, there's an awful lot of places that, you know, are awesome. I personally also have a hard time figuring out where I would go. So many places I haven't been to, so many places I'd love to go to. So let's get the conversation started. The number again, 877-399-9898. What is the best place in Canada to go to? Ryan O'Donnell, you grew up here and in Calgary and then in um, southern Ontario and then back to Calgary. Where would you go? Well, I'd say, okay, I'm going to give you two, which I know is cheating, but I'm going to give you two because they're different. It's not the the best. Okay, but there's two kinds of – I think there are basically two ways that you can explore Canada. It's either exploring okay. the wilderness or going to see the towns and the, the cities, okay. and the, or at least that's uh-huh. how I travel. Okay, right. So for me, it is the Rocky Mountains, whether it's the it, – I've actually never been to Lake Louise, <laughs> if you can believe that. I've never seen it. What um, the hell? Yeah, nobody's ever taken me. And the line – I've tried to go several times, but the lines are insane. I, that's actually one problem with – Lake Louise. Um, but the Rocky Mountains are insane. The Johnston Canyon, uh, the hikes around Banff, uh, the Canmore in the winter, it is truly beautiful. But actually, my favorite place I've ever been to in Canada is Quebec City. 100%. I, uh, if I spoke French, I would, I, would, I would probably move there. I just think like downtown Quebec, you know, living in what was essentially used to be a castle. It's so unique within Canada. The Chateau uh, is such a historically important building, and it is such a stunningly beautiful building to look at. Um, right by the river, I, it, is, it is a truly special city within Canada, and I, I, I loved my trip there. Loved it. I, I wish I could go back soon. All right. So... It's hard to nail down a place that has more than one thing. That's where I'm starting my thought process. BK, you've been all over. Is there a place in Canada where you would call the best? Uh, it's tough to say. Um, Canada remains largely unexplored for me. I, it's a sh- shameful to say. I've lived here my whole life. I've been, oh, I think most people are like that. I've been in like 45 U.S. states and all over Straya and those places. But Canada, uh, yeah, I know, largely unexplored. However, I couldn't narrow it down to one place of the places that I have been. Uh, Quebec City is great as far as cities go. Um, Montreal, I think, of the big cities in Canada, Montreal is definitely my favorite. Old Town Montreal is pretty special. Old Town Montreal for sure. Uh, the first uh, time I experienced nature being sort of a landlocked southern Ontario kid was uh, Lake Superior Provincial Park in Ontario. Oh. Is probably It's definitely the best provincial park in Ontario. No offense to Algonquin, but Lake Superior is superior. Um, <laughs> I've seen the Rockies like in the United States. I would love to see them in Canada. The pictures look beautiful. Mm. I want to go there and uh, Vancouver Island too. It's got to be only if you knew, have knew a guy. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, Ryan looks at it from city versus, uh, forest. I look at it from summer versus winter. So it's a tough one because you know, the, the, in the summertime, now I've never been to the East coast, so that's unfair in the summertime trying to nail it down like i thought okay well 
Interior BC, Okanagan, uh, Kamloops, I mean, that is absolutely beautiful and stunning. Winnipeg, Lake Winnipeg, and all the water around there. Like, going out fishing in Flin Flon, Manitoba in the summertime is one of the most amazing getaways you can do. I just wouldn't want to be there in the winter, right? Like, it's unbelievable. Um, so, you know, when you get into winter, skating in the mountains is quite unbelievable. You know, but there's sort of this juxtaposition of going to a place like Victoria in the wintertime when it's rainy and green. So it's 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 kind of different that way. I loved Southern Ontario. I loved living in Niagara. I think Ottawa in the summer is is great. The history and all the things that are there. Uh, in the wintertime, skating the Rideau Canal, which I did for the first time this winter. Also fantastic. But I don't know if you get a whole lot more than just Ottawa when you go there. So where do you get the most? 877-399-9898. Clark says, Banff Jasper Highway is one. That's a beautiful drive. If you're going to do anything, that's a good one in Canada. Emerald Lake, BC. And uh, Clark, you're on to something with Emerald Lake. Let's go to Linda, who's uh, in Calgary. Hey, Linda. Hey. Okay, so you know what? Oh, my God, you guys just rattled off a whole bunch of places. So Vancouver, um, I've, so Capilano Canyon is one. Mm. One place then in, you know, in, uh, in like Banff, around the Banff area, like Moraine Lake. Um, and then there's, uh, we got waters just as beautiful and turquoisey as, you know, in a, any of those resorts. Absolutely. But yes. I mean, just, it's just like, uh, just unbelievable. And then, yeah. but you know, okay, so like I've also been to Quebec and Montreal and they're just, just crazy beautiful, especially old Quebec. Uh, but also um, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say I went to Nova Scotia uh, in 2001, right after 911, and uh, and um, I rented a car. And I, like I mean, it's like I just went all. I just hugged the coast and tried to get to as many places as I could. And it's mm-hmm. like, take your pick. It's like like Halifax, Dartmouth, Digby, um, Annapolis, Royal, Shelburne, Lunenburg, Bear River, Mahone Bay. Wow. And it's like... What is it? I, what is it? What's one thing that comes to mind about Nova Scotia in particular? Like, was it beaches? Was it uh, people? No, was no, it, no, 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 no. Because I went in October, and it was pretty much, like, just right after 911 happened. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, everybody was really touchy, you know? Um, and um, so, you know, Lunenburg, even before I went, the name Lunenburg sort of got me, you know what I mean? And so I went there and uh, stayed on a farm um, where they had a donkey uh, that that protected the rest of the animals. He would like <laughs> kick the shit out of the coyotes and stuff like that. Uh-huh. You know, if there were any any evil predators. But it's like downtown Halifax. You know, just being on the water and just like I I cried when I was on the plane home. I phoned my oh, boss wow. and asked for. I went went for two weeks, but then while I was there, I phoned and asked my boss for more time. And uh, when I was. I cried when I came home. Like, it is just, that's where Canada began. I mean, like, it's just stunningly beautiful. Like, I I, I went into one, I don't remember which museum, whether it was in Yarmouth or Digby, but I walked in the front doors, and there's just, like, this great, big, huge, humongous ship's wheel, oak ship's wheel, just beautiful. And all, the whole museum is just like wall to wall to wall to wall, loaded with paintings of beautiful, huge ships. And just, I was just like a gog. I was. I love it. I love it. It's so cool, man. Linda, thank you for such a great story. Uh, Linda in Calgary voting for Nova Scotia. Some of your text messages that come in. um, There is no such best uh, place as the best place in Canada. Uh, there are so many of the wonderful features of this country. Nobody could ever see all of them in a lifetime, Trucker Dan. Oh, that could be very true. You know, you people who drive for a living, you are lucky, you know. You do get to see an awful lot. I know there's a lot of long-haul route people that get to run those routes all the time. And while I guess it probably gets a little mundane back and forth, it's it's beautiful. My favorite place from Blue Man, I like Caroline, Alberta. Um, actually, you know what? There's a place up, um, uh, Nordeg. 
in Alberta, where it's sort of on, it's right on the edge of the mountains. And that's what Linda was talking about is you, the, the water there is so, it's, it's the turquoise. It's that color. It's that, it's all the vacation pictures of all the places in, you know, with the palm trees. It's all there. It's all here in Canada. That's the coolest part. Um, my favorite place to visit is on Queen Charlotte Island. I used to go to the town of Sandspit to visit cousins. Such a beautiful, tranquil place with great fishing as well. Wow. Boy, there's uh, Sunshine Coast and those places in BC. No one said those yet. Glennie is in Oshawa. Glennie, where are we, where are we going? We're going to Amherst, Nova Scotia. Another vote for Nova <laughs> Scotia, <laughs> eh? Yeah, just like our previous caller. Uh, I was married for six years, and my best man had moved back home to Nova Scotia. And this was back in 94, and he kept trying to talk us to come down and, and to visit. So so my wife, myself, and, and, my, and our two boys, they were six and five, we drove down to Nova Scotia. And, and the funny thing is, I'm a, I'm a very city person, and, and on the way down, I, I was, uh, it, it would appear to people who were more relaxed, but I was taking it as being just slower, and I, would, I kept saying the East Coast mentality. But by the time I got to Amherst, the drive had moved us so much that when we entered into Amherst, we decided right then and there we were moving to Nova Scotia. And then we, after one week, we drove back. Two weeks later, I I moved to Nova Scotia, and then we and then we packed up my wife and my kids. And a month later, everybody came down, and that was wow. just just within twenty minutes. It was just the, the friendliness of the people. Uh, it's it just. It, it was just unbelievable. It was just incredible, and yeah, on the we and like uh, like your previous caller, we cried when we left two years later hmm. as we as we crossed the border coming back to Ontario. That's beautiful. Thank you very much, Glenn. Um, in Schwa, I appreciate that. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Nova Scotia comes up again. Lucas from Toronto goes the other way. Says Tofino, Vancouver Island, breathtaking. Absolutely. One of my favorite places in the whole wide world. It's not a fancy place, but it's just one of my favorite places. Now I have memories there is um, Port Alberni and salmon fishing and Sprout Lake is stunning. And uh, Cathedral Grove, those big old uh, ancient trees in there. Boy, it's unbelievable. Chris in Edmonton is my favorite place in Canada is my home in Edmonton. Thank you very much, Chris. Best place for me is Shaw Park, Winnipeg. Home of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Nothing better than being at a ballpark on a beautiful summer day. Nighthawk Steve. It's cool. I like this. This is fun. Best place in Canada. What is it? Dave in Winnipeg says, Shane, the best place to visit is definitely Calgary. I think it's the best place to live in the world. Uh, Dave in Winnipeg, thank you very much for your text. What are the best places for Calgary? Vote for Calgary comes up. Also, um, I would go to all the small towns in northern BC. It has history that a lot do not know. It's worth the trip. I'd like to know what that history is. Kelly is in Calgary. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Shane. Uh, I say Saskatchewan because there's like there's a few places that we used to, uh, as a family we used to always go visit. Like yeah. My, Which places? My grandpa and grandma would be in Kittersley, uh-huh. Saskatchewan, and my mom's uh, brother and his wife in. In uh, in um, Brock, mm-hmm. so those two little towns. Yeah, that's amazing. You, that's cool. And it, family for you, or is it something about Saskatchewan? Well, no, it's family. Yeah, I love it. Well, that's okay, and man. That's, that's cool. My mom wants to be laid to rest too. So. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for the call, Kelly. Appreciate that. In Saskatchewan, Diefenbaker Lake is a really strange anomaly. Um, it's a big lake. It's beautiful. I've been camping on that lake before. Uh, it's, it's very long and it's neat because the, at the one end where we were, it's actually way down in the valley. So it, when you're camping, you're up on the hill and you overlook the lake. It's stunning and it would be a beautiful place to have a house. A little windy, but beautiful. Absolutely stunning. What is the best place in Canada? A new texter from the West Coast says, my favorite place in Canada is the Maritimes. Oh, it's Frank. Hey, Frank. Thanks for texting. The friendliest people in Canada, lovely scenery, both green rolling hills and endless coastlines, lovely smaller towns and cities, properties are manicured, houses are painted with a variety of color, and they're not run down, great seafood, history everywhere you go, and on and on, from Frank. Uh, Frank's texting from the West Coast. Love that. Thank you so much, Frank. Does this change your mind, Ryan, at all, like any of these ones? Or are you still stuck on on your – because this starts to change my mind when I when I realize – you know what we're talking about here. I'm like, oh, maybe. I, yeah, I, 
the love for the Maritimes has, has I've never been, but I, I I have a kind of a gut feeling that I need to go sometime. Um, I've I I love seafood so much. I would give up steak for the rest of my life if I could have lobster instead. You know, like I cool. I love the food there, the scenery. I remember growing up and watching the ads for Newfoundland too. Like the lands, mm-hmm. thinking that looks like an alien planet, but nope, it's on the coast of my own country. I just feel like there's still so much I haven't seen, and uh, a lot of it is on the Maritimes. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I gotta go, man. A station staycation in Winnipeg, the beach. Uh, is beautiful. That's from an unknown texter in Winnipeg. Thank you very much. Uh, beaches, beaches, beaches. Crescent Beach, White Rock. Definitely uh, in the winter, Whistler Snow, Cabins and Trees, Catherine. Uh, that's a beautiful little pocket of the world, too. Right there on the southwest coast, right by uh, right by Merca. Lake of the Woods, Ontario. 14,000 islands. Southwest corner of it is in Minnesota. Beautiful, stunning body of water. I love that. It's I tried to think of it from a place where there was more than one thing going on, more than one season. And, you know, when I, I think of Vancouver, uh, Vancouver is beautiful. But it's not really more than one season. I suppose it's rainy season and sunny season, I suppose. Um, but, you know, and I, I think of my time in Calgary, and Calgary itself is a fantastic place to live. I have nothing bad to say about Calgary. It's it's offered me a lot, and I have a lot of friends here. Um, but it's... You know, I don't think it has more than that to offer. Although the Bow River and fishing on the Bow River and those kinds of things are, are big, uh, big popular activities here. Best place in Canada all depends on what you want to do. Um, I would like to skate on the Rideau Canal, but that doesn't make it the best place in Canada. I really enjoy the South Okanagan. Oliver, BC, one of my favorite places I've been to. I love that. And I do recommend everybody skating the Rideau Canal, by the way. I love the small towns and villages, ghost towns to find cool old buildings, swampy areas for birding. I love the no maintenance of it and use at your own risk roads. Uh, they lead me to beautiful scenery and usually lots of animals and birds. I love photography. Eventually, I'll share some pictures on the Facebook page. Cool. Thanks, Lisa. Look forward to seeing it. Okay. What is the best place in Canada? Charles says Capel Valley in Saskatchewan, Lake of the Woods, Kananaskis Provincial Park, fly fishing in the middle of a stream. Uh, see, those are all good. They've come up more than once. Ontario has my heart. I love the escarpment and waterfalls. The Luther March and Osprey wetlands are my favorite weekend haunts. I love the small towns and ghost towns, too. I need to share some more photos. Thank you very much. Bipolar Barry Lisa. Uh, Gimli, Manitoba from Cat. She lives there, summer or winter. It's a unique uh, community on the shores of Forgotten Great Lake. Uh, come to the Gimli Film Festival in late July. Icelandic Festival the first weekend of August. Goldie Santa Beaches, Winterfest in February. Ice fishing, snowmobiling, cross-country ski trails. Spectacular parks and something for everybody. Uh, selling, uh, selling Gimli there, cat. Nice work. Um, it's amazing. And so the one thing that Clark said that gets me, I think that I would have to vote for my favorite place in all of Canada is Emerald Lake, BC. It's not the kind of place where you're going to do a thousand things. It's close by to Lake Louise, so you could go skiing, and it's it's just outside Field, BC. And the reason why I would choose Emerald Lake is because it is equally as beautiful in the summer as it is the winter. The color of the lake being perfectly turquoise is amazing in the summer, and it is equally as beautiful with the mountains and the big pillowy snow in the winter. And that's why I vote for that. Just my vote. Nothing big. I agree with Clark there. And I have to tell you, it's the kind of place, well, it's the kind of place where Melanie had sent me a picture of, like in one of those Instagram photos of somebody standing on a dock. And they said, you know, it was in Whistler, I believe. She said, can we go here? And I said, well, there's a thousand places like that in BC. Where do you want to go? And then we went to Emerald Lake and um, the awe that I saw, cause I'd been there before, the awe on her face was made it worth it. So not so much the experience for me, but the experience of watching someone else have that inspired, awesome look. That's cool. We'll leave you with this text from Martha. If you're going to go anywhere, got to go with Niagara Falls. Always love to see it. It certainly is inspiring. This is the Shift Podcast. One of the things we've chatted here on the Shift about many, many times is to 
uh, I want to do the show from a truck. I don't I think that'd be too loud. Yeah. I want to do the show from, um, you know, maybe a motorhome city to city across the country one day. That's a dream of mine. I'd like to do that. Doing the show on a train. Now, that's interesting. That's something I didn't think of. And Michael Downey joins me now. I'm going to call you a YouTube star because millions and millions of views on the YouTubes. And uh, Downey Live is the channel, which we will link at shiftheads.ca for all of you to link up to nice and easy. Um, This is what you do. You get out, you try things, you do new jobs, you do the travel, but you did recently uh, track Canada on a trip. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, flattery will get you a long way with me there, Shane. Thanks for that <laughs> kind introduction. <laughs> I like that. That's good. So t- let's get started here. Um, let's get started with what you do and why do you love to do it? Because you do have all kinds of videos. We're going to yeah. center this one conversation on the train. But uh, tell yeah. me what, what, why and what do you love about it? Yeah, well, you you named it. Uh, I'm a YouTuber, uh, born and raised in Vancouver. So this is where when COVID hit, all of my videos were based out of for the first year. And then as the second year kind of went on, I was able to move around the province a little bit more and showcase British Columbia here. And then as that was kind of at the end of the second year, looked like I could travel across Canada. And so I've had a lot of fun traveling by train in the past. That's a lot more interesting than going by plane and just A to B because Canada is so broad, so huge. There's so much to see. If you just fly straight to Toronto, you skip half the country and so i needed to see it tip to tip and i figured if you couldn't travel internationally this was the best time to do it so i started in newfoundland and i wanted to take the train all the way across all 10 provinces to vancouver now i'm aware there are no active trains in newfoundland or prince edward island but there used to be and so that was for those two provinces that was the goal was to go out show you what used to run there where it was and then along the way because here in Canada, via rail, during COVID, the train only ran once a week. So as soon as Mm. I stepped off on a province, I was there for an entire week until the next train came through to pick me up and take (laughs) me to the next province. So I got to explore all sorts of interesting jobs. I was there in Prince Edward Island during the potato harvest. I was riding on Coast Guard boats. Uh, You name it, I saw it in Canada. Log rolling in Nova Scotia with a lumberjack. Really? Oh, Oh, that's cool. It was, I mean, it was great. It was a fantastic fun. trip. Yeah, okay, so this is fantastic. And, and it, it goes more than just that. I mean, there's all kinds of travels things. Uh, there's even cranberries, which is fun. Yeah. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, uh, glass bottom pools and all kinds of just fun, playful things, just so everyone knows that there's so much more to be found here. I, I'm Before we get into the deeper into the train stuff, I mean, your videos, you, your, I think your most viewed video is 4.2 million views. Yeah. Now I used to do car reviews long ago and I remember when my first one got to like 5,000 views and I was like, this is amazing. And then it goes to 10, 15, 20,000 and you're like, this is, but the first time you get like a thousand views, even you're, you're just astounded. You're like, I can't believe a thousand people. Yeah. Oh yeah. And now you're looking at 4.2 million views on one of the videos. And I don't know, there's probably almost 10 of them that are over a million views. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And what's (laughs) I mean, for me, it's, I've been doing this for five and a half years now, so I understand that process. But my dad is with me in that video with 4.2 million views, and he doesn't let me forget it. Every time I, I'm with my dad, he goes, Mike, it's gone up 4.2 million views. I'm famous. People want to see more of me. It's going to his head more than it's going to my head. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And I will say with that video, it's, it, was, uh, it was number 37 on the trending page on YouTube. And it's simply a train trip with my dad and I. And I, yeah. more than anything, I was relieved to see that a, a video, a wholesome video of a train trip with, between father and son could go, you know, in quotation marks viral and not these pranks and challenge videos and kind of ridiculous yeah. YouTube videos. It was relieving to me that there's there's good in the world and people enjoy. There's some humanity that. still there. Yeah. It's not all yeah. slapstick, right? Exactly. Um, well, and what a special memory for you and your dad too. I mean, you're never gonna yeah. and you've got it right. You've got the evidence of that memory, which is yeah. so cool. Um, so when when you do this, uh, I mean, obviously there's a plan. There's a, there's you know you got to get out there. You got to spend the time. You got to put it back together again. I mean, this is not an easy endeavor by any means. Um, but tell me, let's get started across Canada, all the trains to come here. Yeah. Uh, what stands out from the trip? I mean, we're broadcast, we kind of, to your point, we don't, not by my choice, we don't broadcast beyond Toronto. 
um, to the east. Although with our one signal out of Hamilton, we actually reach Queens, New York and New Jersey and all those at nighttime. Okay. So we do reach a long way, but uh, there's a lot to be learned here about going all the way across the country on a train. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. fantastic. So tell me about it. What stands out? I think the first thing I learned was that you can be happy doing whatever it is you're doing. There was no one that seemed like they were making more money and they were happier. You you had, like I said, a lumberjack that was running his own business and log rolling and, and letting people try ax throwing and hit that stuff to this incredible indigenous chef who opened up her own restaurant in Manitoba to people who were making mustard gin in Saskatchewan. And they were all just so passionate about specifically what they do. And we're so happy to share that. And what I came out of that thinking is no matter what you're interested in, you can make a job out of anything as long as you're passionate enough about it and you work at it and get good. And for me, that reflected on back of what I'm trying to do in this whole kind of trip was trying to represent Canada the way I envision it and how incredible and wonderful the people are and the landscape is and all the unique and rare and odd things you can do in this country. And so to see all of them succeeding at what made them happy, this doing this project was what made me happy. And I, I hope the success comes from it just as much as, as they've all found along the way. Now, you are a function of the internet, so you've seen all of the uh, the ugly, too, that happens on the internet. Of course, yeah. And so, you know, uh, how does that contrast when you get into the real life stuff? I yeah. mean, it is a little bit ironic because you do, you know, you are a YouTuber, but which is really just a, a broadcaster in today's world. But yeah. the the irony is, is that it must pull you back a little bit and go, yeah, the internet is so not real life. <laughs> it's okay. So there, there's two ways of looking. The way I used to look at it as I started making these videos, if something went wrong in my head that that screwed up my story, oh, now I'm I'm delayed. I'm behind. It's it's going to ruin my whole video. What I realize now is delays, things going wrong, negativity, all of that is inevitable. And you have to learn to roll with the punches. And in fact, for me specifically in making videos, it can make the video better. But genuinely, I see the negatives as a positive. You know, when I'm delayed by 12 hours on this train and I'm going to be arriving late and miss our first stop. Well, for me, it's not that we're delayed. I see it as, oh, I get more time on this train, which is a thing I enjoy. And I paid X amount well, now I'm just getting more value for my money. It's all perspective, really. And It really is. Well, the way that I always teach it in mine is that you can't understand a negative unless you understand positive. So they, okay. actually, co they actually coexist in dance. So they yes. have to dance together uh, for us to understand them. And so with that, if they're the same thing, yeah. then we just get to choose our perspective at that point. So that's what I, you sound about. So exactly right. What What is one of the uh, surprises that came out of a breakdown like that, that you were at first, you're like, oh man. And then all of a sudden it was a, turned out to be a gift because you fumbled upon something that you never would have found if that breakdown wouldn't happen. Uh, tell me one of those scenarios okay. that sticks per out. Per perfect example coming up. Uh, it, the video is not out yet, but it's coming out. But I was riding the, the California Zephyr train from Chicago to Los Angeles. And we were 12 hours delayed. In fact, we, we had a delay behind a freight train where they were like, you know what? We're going to be just sitting here for three hours. You're welcome to walk into town if you'd like. Just be back by 5 p.m. So the whole train empties out into this small ski town of Fraser, Colorado. And we discovered this fantastic distillery owned by grandparents, run by the kids. And they had the, you know, the grandkids in the corner playing over there. And they had us trying all sorts of different whiskeys and just things that were in uh, red wine barrels. And they were letting us try things that weren't out yet, released yet. We had a great time. We got to meet everyone else on the train because we're all in this shared experience. And then back on we go, whereas someone would see my train was late by 12 hours. And I literally got to experience a town that I would not have otherwise seen. I'd be stuck on that train for three days straight. And instead, I, we got to stop numerous times and see a lot more. And if that's not what I paid to have as an experience, then I don't know what is. Yeah. Was the train ride different after that? Well, everyone had yes, a bit of a yes. buzz, had a buzz on. So that was, but I mean, it, once you've met everybody and it's more social, was the yeah. train ride different afterwards? It was. People were verbally calling out when they saw deer on the right and the whole car would look over and we'd go all supporting each other and seeing what's worth seeing. And everyone was laughing. I mean, like you said, we all did have a little bit of a buzz on, <laughs> but when you have nowhere else to go for the next 
24 hours, you all just sit and chat and you kind of have dinner with each other. It was a great experience. Yeah. And then four hours later, everyone's napping. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And <laughs> you sleep all that night. <laughs> That's so good. Okay. So Canada, uh, locations and places. Can you give me a little bit of a, 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 a uh, left yeah. to right or right to left summary of, of what you ran into? Yeah, we'll go right to left. Um, Newfoundland is incredible. We came, we came across, you know, meadows sitting at the top of rocky cliffs where on this incredible ATV ride where they stopped and cooked us moose burgers by the side of a lake. And then we watched the sunset and we had a beer that was made out of iceberg ice water, you know, shaved, shaved oh, right off cool. of a fresh iceberg. Moose burgers are amazing by the way. Oh yeah. And then, uh, Newfoundland, uh, sorry, Manitoba, we stopped at the best spa I've ever been. I don't go to spas in general, but the person I was traveling with wanted to stop there at this brand new million dollar spa. And it was a Nordic spa. We stayed there. Oh, you've never, you've never been to a Nordic spa before. There's one in, um, the one I go, there's one here, uh, just outside Calgary and Kananaskis now. And there, the one I go to though is in Chelsea, Quebec, just outside Ottawa. And, um, my partner's in Ottawa. So we go every, every chance we go. It's amazing. Isn't it like mind blowing? Oh, we went, we went curling in Manitoba. We, I, I was fortunate enough to partner with the Coast Guard on this and see a couple of their things, but they have a brand new $25 million helicopter flight simulator, which is the entire, you step into this room and it's fully elevated and the whole room moves as you are tilting this helicopter. And so I was able to actually practice flying a helicopter, which I have no experience at whatsoever. And of course they throw me into landing on an icebreaker ship in bad weather. And, um, I, I had to stop the simulation cause I was such a bad pilot and I was <laughs> feeling very sick in that room. And continuing with the coast guard, I got to ride on the hovercraft in British Columbia, which is just oh, a really? perfect way to end hitting the coast, the Pacific ocean, again, getting out there, it, it goes right up onto a beach and comes down. They had the, they, we stopped to put the divers in so they could show me, you know, take my GoPro down and see what the water looks like. And sure enough, a whale breached as we're standing on board. Oh, I'm not kidding. These things happen only because you're out there. You you just have to go, not necessarily you as a listener have to go to the hovercraft because you can't, but if you have something in mind that you want to do, go out and do it because special moments only happen when you're out there. They don't happen when you're at home watching it on YouTube. Cause of course I, I wasn't filming at the time that whale came, came up. Right. But just, you know, we came across a maritime museum in Manitoba in the middle of a field, not, not a body of water to be seen, but large ships just sitting in a field and you gotta really? go, why is there a maritime museum here in Manitoba? But for some reason there used to be a large body of water there and they've kept it. Wow. Just random, interesting things. I love it. So how was the train ride for you, the actual train ride? Was it more of the the downtime looking at yeah. out the scenario? Because uh, I'm imagining that the, the train ride itself would go many different directions. It would go the directions of... Uh, the mellow time, the sleep time, the court of, you know, sort of the read the book time or the writing time yeah. um, or the chatting time. Uh, you know what? Uh, the prairies are only so exciting. I mean, I've driven across them a few times, but I mean, the colors are fantastic. But if it's in the middle of winter, it's not fantastic. Like, That's true. Uh, what was the train ride like? Yeah, well, I, I think you can tell that I'm a pretty chatty person. So for me, it, and generally when I'm walking around with a large camera and microphone and, and my gear, people tend to ask questions and go, oh, what are you filming? A documentary? And that leads into conversations. And next thing you know, I'm three hours in sitting next to this person and we're, and they're pointing out this actually happened. She goes, oh, we're going past my house and pointed it out as we went past. Hmm. Uh, but also going to your remark about the prairies is the fact that it's so flat means you can see so much and you can see a moose, you know, 800 meters out there and standing alone in the middle of a field at sunset, things like that. It's just the train is so mesmerizing that you feel like you can't relax. Well, you, you easily can relax and just look out the window, but you don't want to look down and get work down because you'll feel like you'll miss something going past until sunsets and then it's dark and then you can't see anything and then you're mm-hmm. very happy to go to sleep and just get right. lulled by the rocking back to sleep i bet so, that's beautiful yeah i yeah uh, yeah i always say the prairies are so flat you can see with to your moose example you, you can see a moose from yesterday it's so far away the, the one downside with the train is that when it arrives into a train station let's say um 
Saskatoon, it rolls in, you know, three in the morning mm-hmm. and you get off. Well, now you have to go check into your hotel, whatnot, three in the morning, you're woken up on the train to get off, you're groggy. But also when the train comes through the next week, it still comes through at three in the morning. There's no option to take a daytime train or an evening train. It comes through at the same time every single week. So then you have to stay up until three in the morning. So it's not ideal for travel times, but it is what it is. And the food on board is great. Really, hey? Oh, that's oh, fun. Yeah. Oh, this is fascinating. White um, linen tablecloth, silver cutlery. Really, with, eh? you know, Via engraved into it in the, in the cutlery. It's very nice. It's very fancy. Sounds fancy. Do they have booze service on the train? Oh, they sure do. Okay, so I have to tell you about the very back car. So there's, of course, there's coach class, and then there are sleeper cars, um, and there's a mix of sleeper cars. You can sleep in a berth, which is essentially a chair that folds down into a bed, but you just have a little curtain to separate you from the rest of the car. Then you can get a roomette, which is actually a door. And, you know, there's a bathroom at the end of the car, or you can get a kind of a bigger bedroom. And that will even have your own toilet and shower and sink in your own bedroom. And you have plenty of space. That's wonderful. But if you are in one of those sleeper cars, there are dome and lounge cars accessible to you. And if you're lucky enough to be at the very back one, it's more of a a bullet car. It has a dome car at the top, so you can see above the train, and it's the best views in the country you could see from. But the very back car, when there's nothing else attached to it, you just watch the track go at the back, but it has a bar in it, not just a cafe. And they sell Fort Gary beer, which comes from Winnipeg, which is one of their big reload stops. And I honestly think there's nothing better. It's like it's better than first class on a plane. It's this mm. big open communal spot with just couches and a lounge and everyone's relaxed. And it's uh, you know, when you're on a train for 36 hours, just looking at trees going by, there's no better way to chat up friends, new friends. New friends. Strangers are just friends you haven't met yet, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Downey, Downey Live. Uh, we will put uh, these videos, a couple of links to, we'll put a link to your whole channel too up on our our facebook page uh it's really great to meet you man this is inspiring you've inspired the question by the way you've inspired the question here for the shift heads which is what's the best place in canada that everyone else needs to go to pick one my answer is wherever you want to go just go because every part of canada is incredible for a different reason and it's impossible to pick one but if you have a place in mind that you want to go and see it's worth it and i'll leave you with that you gotta be careful someone will vote for you for prime minister you keep up that good good talk eh? <laughs> i don't want that <laughs> uh michael it's great to meet you thanks for being here man thanks it was a pleasure this is the shift podcast Connecting to Ukraine with Mikhailo Zernikov, um, it's been absolutely amazing, the people that I've met, and uh, I look forward to connecting uh, with Mikhailo now every single uh, week when we get a chance. Thank you, Mikhailo, for being so generous with your time. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me, uh, always. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm free. I'm, I'm fine, all things considered. Thank you. It's been a busy week. Lots of good news, I think, from what we are hearing coming out of Ukraine. Um, you know, obviously, there's still the nasty in the east um, and rocket attacks mm-hmm. in and around Odessa. But um, there seems to be some things to celebrate. Can you help us understand, Mikhailo? Um, for those who don't know, I mean, yes. you've been involved in your former judge, involved in policymaking and all those things. Uh, help us understand uh, what the general tone is of uh, the last few days and, and how everybody's doing. Well, uh, on one hand, it's generally, uh, I suppose, at least in my circles, and, and from what I see, it's, it's quite optimistic because we, um, yes, we, we had the counteroffensive around Kharkiv, my uh, native town, and, uh, you know, there's the some points where um, our forces, the, the Ukrainian army, basically drove the Russians to the border um, uh, with Russia. So uh, that is good. Um, and uh, also on the other, Russia is attacking a lot. So don't don't take me wrong. There's still a lot, lots and lots of Russian forces in in Ukraine. Uh, they're trying uh, to you know to attack to advance on many uh, directions on Donbas, but uh, so far they're not uh, successful. So that is why uh, you know there's there's quite a lot of uh, optimism. But uh, again, there's no time to relax uh, because there's still. Yes, like you said, there's still shellings and bombings, and there's still still lots of uh, 
Russian forces, uh, and uh, we still need many more weapons. We still need a lot of support, and of course, we still uh, we we already are in the say in the midst of a discussion or the beginning at least of a discussion uh, on how the transformation of Ukraine, the post-war rebuilding and transformation should look like. And there, of course, we uh, very much hope that uh, that will not go without uh, the help of our Western partners and uh, both, I mean, technologically, financially, but also in terms of um, rethinking, rebuilding the country. Because one, one thing, it doesn't make sense to, you know, rebuild the same old infrastructure that was, yeah. um, you know, destroyed. It makes so much more sense both in terms of infrastructure and social institutions to build something new. And there's a big chance of doing that right now that we shouldn't miss, absolutely. I would imagine that the symbolism of some of that old infrastructure, the way that people look at it, uh, will change. Sort of like you said, it doesn't make sense to rebuild old things, especially when a lot of those old things were old USSR things. Uh, after all of this, I mean, I imagine there's an awful lot of people that were looking forward to flushing USSR memories out uh, because there's there's good and bad. Obviously, there's some long lineage there that that is valuable and worth uh, hanging on to for the heritage of Ukraine. But the, there is also some not great, terrible things too. So I imagine there must be an appetite in general in Ukraine to say, look, if we have, I mean, trying to make a positive outcome, create a positive outcome, is we have a chance to build this our way this time. What do we want our world to look like? Not USSR world. What do we want our world to look like? And there must be a lot of conversation around that, around policy, around infrastructure, all of it. Well, absolutely. Uh, also, the USSR, uh, it's somehow, you know, the world missed the point when Stalin killed not fewer people than Hitler did. And somehow, you know, the Nazi regime is, you know, you, everybody knows what the Nazi regime was and, and everybody hates that and, you know, doesn't want to that to continue. But, you know, the, 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 we somehow missed how, how terrible the USSR was and how bad the, the so-called communist regime was. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the result exactly right now that we see that, you know, the history is pretty much repeating itself. So if you if you're uh, that's that's a, that's a lesson that we should absolutely learn uh, well around the world to not you know let that happen uh, once again. Um, yes, and uh, when it comes to, to you know to the sentiment here, there were still a lot of uh, well a significant number of people who uh, kind of of course the most of the older generation, but uh, not not exclusively that were kind of longing for you know their youth ages at the USSR, whatever that was. Of course, there was a lot of Russian propaganda saying, oh, how, how good the ice cream was or whatever, but they failed to mention gulag or, you know, millions of deaths or the absence of uh, uh, human rights, you know, let alone the uh, basic products uh, on, on the shelves of, of, the, of the market. So um, what I'm trying to say, yes, uh, of course, people, are, people want to... Um, you know, get away from it as much as possible. If you look, look at the sociology, there is no sentiment, almost no sentiment left towards the USSR or Russia. Everybody knows what it's all about right now. But there's still uh, not exactly the, um, the, the the picture that it's formed what the new Ukraine should look, look like. Of course, not Russia, not USSR. That's a good, you know, that's a good red line. But what's, what's next is a big question. And, uh, you know, that's something that we should all uh, be really thinking about and we are it's just not you know not finalized yet well that's a good point and i'll go back in history about the 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 impact of stalin and all these different uh leaders in the ussr before the world wars and into the first world war there is a storyline that is often not known and it was actually king george v in england his cousin Mm -hmm. was czar nicholas ii and um, they were yeah. very close. They looked almost identical. Photos of them make them look like they were twin brothers, not cousins. Yeah. And when all of that happened, and I think it was, if I remember my history correctly, I think it was Stalin that was coming after Tsar Nicholas. They, it was a secret plan. They had got away to the north coast in Russia, uh, USSR at the time, and they um, and they were mm-hmm. expecting to be rescued by uh, the by, by England to be taken into England. But because of the optics around having this czar from Russia be the cousin of King George V and what that would look like because they didn't want the bloodline of the royal family to be known to be that way. 
they actually left the cousin there and they found him and they killed him and they didn't ever rescue yeah. him. He was expecting them to come rescue them, but England never came and rescued them. It was part of the secret to not allow the public in England to know the relationship. And so this, this history that you speak of is very deeply rooted as so much so that the royal family in England was willing to let their family members die so they weren't connected to it. Well, yeah, that's, you know, history is complicated. And you, 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 but you have to know it to, to not repeat it because, you know, you look at what happened 77 years later and we were having the bloody war in, you know, inside Europe. And uh, unfortunately, it's on, well, it would be unfortunate in, on any soil, but uh, just happens to be that I'm Ukrainian and it's, uh, in my uh, hometown and on, on my land, um, listen, yes, uh, yeah, we, we absolutely want to go away from it as much as possible. Uh, and of course, you know, there's there's general lines that everybody knows now, and that's why I, I guess support for Ukraine is so high all over the world because we are we want to be democratic, we want to be European, we want to be you know free, uh, we want to be uh, we want to respect everybody and get everybody's respect. As you know, as much as any other country, we actually want to be. For once, we want to be, you know, a boring country, you know, somewhere in Europe, uh, because we we had so, um, you know, vivid and and uh, um, interesting, so to say, history through the last, I don't know, uh, one hundred, one and a half thousand years. You know, there was Kievan Rus before, then Russia stole the name and the history, and now they're trying to one the part of, of what is happening right now is they're trying to gain control over Kiev and or over our land to claim that they are the proper, you know, descendants of, you know, Kiev and Rus, but they're not. You know, they're, they're this, there's obvious um, uh, things. If you look at the simple history, you know, the, the Kiev was here the 6th century um, AD and uh, Moscow wasn't founded, you know, um, 800 years or, or, I don't know, 700 years uh, uh, later, even so, uh, you know it's 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 obvious what uh, what it's all what this is all about, and we yes we we absolutely have to redefine ourselves once and for all right now to to not repeat the history. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that part because I mean the the deeply rooted history is is remarkable, and and that history stretches through all the way up, uh, you know, into Finland and Sweden and and um, sort of those Nordic countries that. Um, uh, have such a deeply rooted history. I mean, you get back to Vikings and stuff. So it's important that we talk about this, Mikhailo, mm-hmm. and I, I love this because the fact that it does share the, um, it's hard to, of course, always say the who came first part, but it does share that there is history outside of the propaganda that, that Russia has been creating. So I, I really appreciate that part. Let's, uh, let's switch here. A couple of stories that have come up here, which is the, the shift in focus is what they're calling it by Russia. Uh, with Herson as probably mm-hmm. uh, being uh, one on, they've added that to the, hey, it's like they're shopping at a buffet a la carte and, or something like that, or a la carte, where they're like, I'll have a little of this and I'll have a little of that. Um, Herson is believed to be added to the annexation list that they might go after in Snake Island too. So inside Ukraine, what are you hearing about mm-hmm. that, about intentions of how Russia has been adjusting focus uh, in some ways, I would say, to probably save some face? Um that's you know if it if it weren't tragic that would be you know that would be funny actually there's there's lots of memes and and lots of uh, you know um, um, jokes going on around uh, Russia's goals because they you know their actual goal was to destroy us that's obvious you know if you look at the you probably know this story there was an article that was um, sat on like auto publish on the on the website um and it came out on the 26th of february so two days after the the um you know the attack started supposedly after 48 hours of what was supposed to be the plan for capturing all the ukraine and uh, just somebody forgot to uh, kind of take it off the automatic whatever the thing is um so it, it came out and it says oh now you know russia fully controls ukraine and you know now it's it's this and that so it's ba- it basically lo- lost its statehood whatever so it, it 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 from many many you know sources not only that but that's that i think was the most obvious one it's clear that you know the only russian goal here was to not let ukraine leave and not basically make us uh, not a country that didn't happen. Whatever there was, you know, the official claim was to whatever liberate uh, uh, Donbas, denazify Ukraine, whatever that means, um, demilitarize. 
so there's if you look at the statements of the uh, Russian officials, there's already you can you can count about 12 reasons why they're here. So that is why it doesn't surprise me that they they're trying to cling to anything at all, uh, because they're, they're you know then they're playing with Transnistria. That there's now terrorist acts committed in Transnistria, which is um, part of Moldova occupied by Russia, uh, a, a neighboring country um, in the other part in the southwest. So uh, they're trying to, to, to do something about it. So it looks to me that Russia is desperately trying to achieve at least anything to sell it internally. Um, I don't know if saving pace is uh, ever possible, but uh, of course, you know, if you, if you look at Russia, it's not a free country. There's no free press and uh, they, they can they can tell whatever to their people. I actually hope that they go as as uh, you know as soon as possible of course but it's important also to understand that the, the sanctions and the economic pressure in russia should remain and should be um you know should be not lifted until russia is com- russia completely dis- uh, dis- uh, sorry withdraws from ukraine and uh, until it repays everything that it cost uh, and that's that's now in hundreds of billions of dollars and not more yeah, it's a staggering, staggering number. Um, we've had the conversation about uh, Moldova and, and that being a target in the very beginning of this. So uh, it is interesting while we were speculating that that's the way that it's sort of uh, played out. I have a question for you about uh, Finland. Mikhailo Zernikov is in Ukraine. Look outside the window. Uh, Finland is uh, announcing uh, its plans to join NATO. And I want to declare for everybody because joining NATO is not something that happens as like uh, you know, flip a switch. There is massive technology changes. You have to be able to communicate with other NATO countries with technology. Ukraine knew um, the way that I understand. It. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Mikhailo, but um, Ukraine had a long way to go before they got to NATO. Yet, policymakers like. Uh, Mikhailo, we're working on things like yeah. that. Uh, so it takes time. The, just because you hear that these other countries like Finland and, uh, you know, you've got Norway, Sweden, all this stuff up in the north, that they are uh, going to join or maybe join. It's been in the works for a long time. But does that does that possibly, with the threats on Finland from Russia, because Finland borders on Russia, with the threats on yeah. Finland from Russia, does that even maybe exaggerate the need to succeed in Ukraine when Russia has been threatening Finland for don't do it or else for a long time. And if they do it, um, a, they're bordering on Russia. So that looks in favor of Ukraine and B let's make Ukraine pay because they're the only ones we can try to make pay. So is it work in favor or against Ukraine? Well, um, first of all, it works in favor of NATO and the free world. That's that's what's important. Of course, for us, it's also important, you know, to whether it works for Ukraine or not. Um, I believe uh, both NATO and the, and the aspiring countries uh, now understand what um, how wrong the policy of uh, quote unquote not irritating Russia is, because it it never stops. It it never you know it, it's been you're absolutely right. It, it, it's been threatened in Finland. You no, know, there was a war, and then which Finland didn't lose, but it lost some, uh, successfully defended, but it lost some territories uh, to Russia. And uh, then it kind of promised to Russia the, the, the cornerstone that w- of that was that the Finland would be um, neutral, would not uh, be in any blocks. Um, but then, and, and, and it was that to extend uh, when, uh, you know, um, there, there was a story of um, Russian, uh, was it tuna, was some fish that had... Uh, Three or thirty or, or, or ridiculous amounts of mercury higher than than allowed in in it, uh, but uh, and then the the that was important to, to uh, Finland and then uh, uh, the Finnish scientists said, look, uh, here's what it is, and then the you know the, the politicians said, oh look, uh, let's not to not irritate Russia. Let's uh, maybe no, the measurements were not very wrong or very right, or maybe it's not it's not that. Uh, you know, the, the threshold for the mercury in fish that was established is not correct. So it was it was ridiculous to the point where they would, you know, whitewash uh, the Soviet Union and Russia, um, even, uh, you know, against the, the public health. So uh, I'm, I'm very glad now that, you know, Finland and Sweden, and, in, and if you look at the sociology, it shifted, it was only about 30-something percent of Finns um, in favor of joining NATO after the attack on Ukraine, they understood that you know the the, the policy of appeasing the the um, aggressor doesn't work basically. 
So that's why the, you know the, it, it, it slipped, and now it's it's about what it's, is it seventy percent um, in favor of joining NATO. Now they're joining NATO, and Sweden, I think, will follow suit very uh, very uh, soon. And for Ukraine, um, you know, this, it's quite a complicated discussion. On one hand, of course, NATO doesn't doesn't want the countries in conflict being admitted to NATO. That would immediately trigger, you know, Article 5, and then uh, that's, that's not a very good um, scenario for the NATO countries. On the other hand, we now have the probably the strongest army in Europe. Uh, we now have a lot, lots of combat experience countering Russia. Um, we now have, um, you know, a lot to offer to NATO, and uh, we, quite honestly, we would like to see more eagerness, more more signals from NATO that they, you know, as soon as the conflict is over, they, they would like to admit us, because otherwise, you know, the ante is still, you know, it's almost all time high the support for NATO now in Ukraine. It's about 72%. Uh, but it was 76 uh, just a, a month ago, uh, which was an all-time high. So it's, it's slightly dropping now because the population doesn't see, you know, the, the readiness of the, of the alliance to admit Ukraine, which would be in, in uh, you know, in favor of both in a mutual interest. But somehow something is stopping uh, that from happening. And of course, you know, it's, it's a organization of 30 countries but uh again i have to repeat that 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 would be mutually beneficial hugely mutually mutually beneficial if we were uh, a part of it we could join the moment the you know the war ends it's fascinating uh the conversation around it uh my last question Mikhailo, thanks for being so generous with your time is we know that in in it's war times that the governments, they, you know, they protect information, right? Like we only get to know so much uh, and we get to find things yeah. out late, right? For example, when material and weapons are moving into Ukraine, we find out about, hey, they're on the way. They've probably already landed, right? Because they're not going to telegraph the fact that they're that they're sending them. Um, the Jets conversation probably, from Poland. Yeah. yeah, right. So the Jets conversation from Poland and all those things that have been going on, is it tough to be there and, and know that there's some things that the government can't quite tell you yet, but you really wish that, that I mean, the stress that comes with that, not knowing, I mean, that must be difficult to navigate, to try to trust. Uh, yeah, uh, well, the only, the only thing left is to trust, actually, because trust, by definition, is something that you you know, um, uh, do without the proof um, handed in, in your hands or in front of your eyes, right? You, you, just, you just trust, you believe. Um, if, if somebody tells you things then, then, or, or you trust in somebody's, you know, uh, decisions and, and uh, that they make you good. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only thing left. Some things, of course, are disclosed. Some, like, you're absolutely right, you know, this... Uh, uh, very often there are if, if they announce something is moving then it's probably already here um, well um, I, I, I'd say this um, it is frustrating somehow especially when when it you know when uh, especially in the first couple of months when everybody was trying not everybody but there were people who were, were engaged in international advocacy also for uh, for the arms, uh, you know, for for um, the West, the, the West supports Ukraine with arms. Now, of course, it you know, um, I think the, the the opinion shifted. Now everybody understands that providing Ukraine, even Germany, that providing Ukraine with arms is is a, is a necessity, and by that they're protecting themselves first of all, and they're protecting democracy all over the world. Um, but yeah, it's um, uh, it's. Uh, we wish we knew more, but at the same time, uh, we, um, you know, we, I think we, our military, our uh, army, uh, our general staff are doing just the greatest things, and they're, they're true heroes. Uh, I have to mention um, um, Azov and Azovstal, by the way, we didn't, we didn't talk about them. Uh, you know, the Pope was, was asked repeatedly uh, to... Uh, um, to take a role and to help withdraw the um, defenders of Azovstal from, uh, uh, you know, from the from the steel plant. Uh, that's 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 a absolutely heroic story. That's more than seventy days of uh, you know seventy five days of people uh, staying uh, there defending without any any link to the mainland Ukraine. I don't know even how it's superhuman how they uh, protect the. 
you know, the, 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 the last parts of Ukrainian territory in that region. Um, and, and, you know, the, the whole world is just, just, I think everybody just uh, agreed that we should, you know, they're so heroic, but we watched them die there. Uh, and it's, it, was, it, was some, it was one stand-up comedian who said, recently the Ukrainian one, who said, oh, uh, look what uh, humanity has achieved. Uh, so much uh, progress. Uh, you can look at uh, in 4K, in 8K, how people in Mariupol die. And that, I think, is a very bitter irony, and that depicts on how what, what's, what's really quite broken about the world right now, that, um, you know, you, that the world doesn't, doesn't do many things to, um, to uh, make, um, yeah, to, to, to extract the heroes from, uh, from where they are. It, of course, uh, well, that being said, we're very grateful for all the help, uh, all the military help and otherwise that, that, uh, that comes to Ukraine from Canada and from, uh, from the rest of the world. Yeah, that's very well said. And, you know, uh, protect the heroes. And at least if we can't protect the heroes, we've got to protect the story of the heroes. And it's so incredibly important. Thank you so much, Mikhailo. It's great to hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you. Mikhailo Thank Zarenikov. you very much for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Mikhailo Zarenikov is in Ukraine. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.